Hello and welcome to Alternative Path with me, David Robson. This week, or this week, this episode, I'm, I'm talking to a lady. I'll be honest with you, this is our uh, our second record. Uh, when I first spoke to Anissa Bloor, uh, she was in South Africa. Um, my internet let us down and the the connection wasn't great. So I really wanted to re-record something because because it, it, it was just needed. You know, she's... She's doing some really, really good things. She is the director of Sensational Kids. Um, she is an occupational therapist, and she has also recently released a book called The Conundrum Child. Now, Anissa, I've given a really, really brief intro to, to who you are, but thank you for thank you for coming on again. And yeah, looking forward to going into some detail about who you are and, and where you're from. Yeah, no, thanks for having me again. <laughs> it's... um. Yeah, it's just, it's good to catch up. I think a lot has happened since we last spoke. Um, so, yeah, it should be good to to get into it, see how things are. Brilliant. Let's start with um, start with Sensational Kids then. For those of, for those of the people listening, or what, what is Sensational Kids? How did you come about it? And, and what do you guys do? Okay, so um, I founded Sensational Kids um, a therapy in 2008 and we are an occupational therapy practice where we um, we provide occupational therapy to kids in their homes at our clinic which we have in Surbiton and as well as at their school so we travel um, and obviously now also remotely and our main aim is to um, I mean our in terms of our our vision it's to empower kids to connect achieve and navigate because we believe that every child can and we do that through quite high quality occupational therapy um, in terms of what occupational therapy is we basically look at the occupations that a person child or an adult has to um, do in their life and look at how we can make them succeed in doing that and being as independent as possible using the skills, the resources, um, et cetera, that they have. So, you know, if someone is an amputee, we'll work with them that way. If a child has um, significant sensory difficulties or sensory differences, then we will work with the school and the home in getting that child to do as many of his occupations as possible and to feel successful and feel like he's achieved. Um, yeah. So over, I'm guessing, like you say, since we last spoke, so much has, so much has happened and, and changed. But from a, from an occupational therapist view on things, then even since we last spoke in December, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, what sort of things are you noticing changing when people are coming to you in terms of maybe, I suppose the, the effects of the last 10, 10 12 months? What was the certain things that you're really starting to notice? Yeah. I think um, a group of kids that I thought would be okay is um, the teenagers, actually. I've had a lot more referrals for teenagers and their parents are saying that they are just really, really anxious. Um, they're struggling with um, sound sensitivity is a big one and the anxiety um, has been quite a massive thing. So I think mental health, in in the teenage group is is quite 
is something that we're going to have to, as a, um, a country, as a community, really get on top of. Um, you know, kids have no control. They don't know what's happening from day to day. And everyone's like, oh, these kids are great. They're going to be so resilient. But I think the younger kids are less affected in that sense because they'll, you know, they're younger, they can quickly bounce back. Whereas for the older kids, the teenagers, you know, they they miss school, they miss their friends, they miss just hanging out in the corridors, they miss doing things before school and after school. And I think that's that's probably one of the biggest effects I've noticed is the anxiety and then how that has been impacting the families as well and their anxiety levels. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's been quite a lot of stuff on online uh, the last couple of days around um, what pupils need to to catch up on, and I, I spoke about it at the start of this recording with with my own son. And for me, as a as a parent, the the I'll say the worry the worry isn't as much on the education side of things. The worry is on the the missing out on social interaction, the peer interaction, the the interaction with with parents, with the TAs in the school, the all the other people, and and then obviously outside of school. That's that's my my, my son's six, so it's different to a, a people who may be doing GCSEs or whatever. I, I know, but that's my my biggest yeah biggest thing because schools have been like schools have been like our schools like schools I know have been great. The schools we work with have been fantastic yeah. in in what they've delivered, yeah. and I don't think like it is it's so much more the social side that that I think yeah and I think schools have sorry I I think schools have had so much pressure on them to perform and to deliver lessons and to work in a way that you know teachers and TAs were never trained to work and actually I think it's it's been too much and teachers have just been phenomenal and everyone can see that you know the lessons are great but it's all the stuff that's gone on in like behind the scenes that it's been I think it's been incredibly hard for teachers to still put those things out and still have that concern about their pupils in terms of you know their emotional needs and their social needs um so yeah schools are have just done an amazing job but I think you know just to come back to the academics I think that's it's the social side it's that emotional side it's the mental health mm. that we should yeah that's what they need to catch up on yeah and um, then you know there's the um you know we've, we've just touched on the kind of young people's mental health side of things but there's also um the mental health of of the teachers as well isn't there like the yeah you know yeah. the um it kind of beggars beggars belief you know i think was it the last was it starting back starting back after christmas was it when you know things like ofsted and the dfe talk about mental health and well-being for, for teachers and then like the night before they're going back they're telling they're asking um parents to speak to ofsted if they've got any complaints or issues with the school and then Ofsted including myself were just inundated with parents weren't they saying how much of a wonderful job yeah. the schools had done I think that uh, I think their website yeah. cra crashed didn't they like yeah 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 I I, I do hope that the um I think we all need to like you said we all need to be really really working collectively to kind of uh help everyone 
yeah adjust yeah. back and to you're... whatever normal is and there was someone posted a thing online about um everyone wants to go back to what was normal but let's remember the bits that we want to go back to um yeah like an, an yeah. image and that's something that i think is really important yeah. isn't it yeah i think it's you know as you say it's everyone's mental health you know parents at home homeschooling they are you know that's been so hard um yeah i was speaking to a dad the other day and i said actually it's um no one's been unaffected mm. i can't think of a single person or single client of mine regardless of how much money they have you know um no one has been unaffected by this and i think that's quite unifying in a way mm. That makes sense. Um, yeah, hundred percent. In the same way, I think that um, at the start of this, you know, there were certain kind of job roles, if you like, that a lot of people maybe would have not been very supportive about, whether it was supermarket workers, postmen, delivery men, whatever. Yeah. NHS teachers, all those sort of things, police, all those sort of things that at times get don't get the the recognition that they deserve yeah. all of a sudden yeah. that's what's held our country together for the last exactly last, you know that's the glue mm. yeah yeah um, yeah and i think so. i think like hopefully hopefully we come through this and in a much more supportive collaboratively i think we will i think there's enough people who recognize that actually it's it's as a community and uh, that we will is where our strength is mm. and that's what's going to carry us forward so i'm hopeful yeah me too me too yeah. cool then on to um so like i said at the beginning so in end of last year you released a book called the conundrum mm. child um instantly noticing the smile on your face i can tell obviously <laughs> you're 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 looking forward to, to talking about that so yeah give us a, a, a bit of a, a bit, bit of a background and a bit of a kind of reason as, yeah. as to what brought it about so um the book is called parenting the conundrum child and the subtitle is um using the can-do approach to uncovering their unique abilities um and i guess if i give you a bit of history so in, in the practice, we work with kids and a lot of them will come to us and they'll have a diagnosis and we'll know, oh, this child has, um, you know, dyspraxia, this child has cerebral palsy, you know, um, and they'll come with those as their diagnosis and then how that affects them. But what I found that there was there's a huge number of kids who don't have a diagnosis or their difficulties are deemed to be not significant enough and I've spent a lot of time in our, our waiting room talking to parents not necessarily of the kids who I was treating but just because I like to chat talking to parents about the kids and the same concerns came up is will my child be okay you know is my child going to be independent one day will they be happy um, and I realized there's this cohort of kids who might be excelling in some areas um but there's just something as a parent there's just something that's not right and you know it you know your gut instinct as a parent you know that something's just not right 
and then you go to your health visitor or you go to the school or your GP um, or your family and they say, oh, you're just being neurotic. There's nothing wrong with them. You are putting too much pressure on them. Um, but actually, you know that there's something there and it might be that, you know, they do end up with a diagnosis of, you know, these subtle but significant difficulties. Um, and, or they might not get a diagnosis, but it's about what they are struggling with and how we can then help them to achieve what they wanna to achieve to do those occupations that's important to them um, and, and to be happy. So the book basically goes through um, stages of kind of, so I share quite a bit about my, my upbringing um, you know, and my background, um, my late diagnosis of ADHD, which only came last year. And then I share about my kids. So my eldest son has, um, was diagnosed with um, what was then known as Asperger's. Yeah, so my son was diagnosed with Asperger's at the age of seven. And that is now kind of the high functioning um, autism. And you know, he was what I would call a conundrum child. So he, he never slept properly. He always had difficulties around touch. Um, and it was only when we did, when he left his nursery where he had been at for four, over four years and went to reception, that big transition, which is what you often see is those big transitions where kids just struggle. So just going to a different child minder or having a different babysitter or one grandparent is preferred over the other. And that's when kind of I realized that actually he was, he was struggling, you know, and he was perfect at school because he's very black and white in school when the teacher says sit still, that's all he thinks about is sitting still. Um, and then he'd come home and we'd just really be in such distress and have these meltdowns and outbursts because he'd been keeping it together all day and mm -hmm. he'd come home and it would just be just so much for him um, and once we got so for him I think I had started putting things in place myself just with my background um, but it's still that you know that mom guilt that oh my gosh you know I should know better I should do better um, so I actually, there's a lot in the book about guilt and just letting go of it because it just is absolutely no, it serves no purpose. You know, guilt is just something that is, is horrible because we all, as parents, we always think we should be doing more, but actually we are, we are enough as parents and we are doing enough. And that's what I say to parents when they come and they say, have I done something wrong? Is it my fault? You know, am I doing enough? And I say, the fact that you're here and that you're worrying about that shows me that you are an amazing parent and that you are enough and that you are trying your best. Um, and so the book goes through quite a bit on, on guilt. And then we go through um, the CAN approach. So it stands for connect, achieve and navigate. And with each of those, so connection I think is, is the most important bit and that there's a lot there in there about parents connecting with themselves first. So, you know, knowing what you also, I had to do personally did a lot of work on myself, which I know sounds a bit weird, but so I did a lot of work on myself and just um, 
yeah, finding out more about myself, you know, how I, how I operate, you know, what makes me feel guilty, what makes you feel shame, that type of thing, and accepting yourself. And then once you can connect with yourself, you can then work on connecting with your partner, all those people who are significant in your life. Um, and that's where you get all your resilience and your resources from. And then you work on connecting with your child um, and then giving them the resources and the skills and the strategies to connect with others. So I think that connection piece is just, it's so, so important. Um, and then once you can connect, uh, you can then achieve, achieve. And that might be that you can learn how to lose a game of Monopoly or, you know, learn how to dress yourself quickly enough for PE. And it might be that the child's difficulties are sensory or physical skills. And so we're working on those underlying skills so that they can be successful in their daily kind of day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. um, and then we go on to the navigate section, which is all about those tricky situations. So how do you approach a child's first play date, um, starting secondary school, you know, just little things like that. Um, yeah, so they're massive. Those, 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 those milestones are huge, aren't they? And like going back to, um, I suppose, kind of the last kind of twelve months. I suppose I remember talking to um, a head teacher. It was around the time where they were deciding which. I think it was when they first decided reception year one go back and year six. I remember, I remember saying to my wife, like, I, I, our little, our son was in reception. I was like, be, I really want him to go back because it was like, it's called foundation for a year, isn't it? You're building the foundations of, yeah. of their education, blah blah blah. But I really felt for those last years, year six, that were going to secondary school. I remember being petrified going to secondary school. Like you have, they have such a that last term is a real transition, isn't it? The the work yeah. that goes in is is massive. So, yeah, I I, I feel for that that trend and like now for the 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 nursery pupils that went to primary school and 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 so on and so on. Yeah. It, it it's it's huge. And I think as um as adults, when you're so busy in your your lives, it's so easy to forget how how big those transitions are for, yeah. for young or, people, isn't it? Um, so my boys were due to last year sit there. My youngest was due to do his GCSEs and my eldest was due to do his A-levels. Wow. And, and actually them not being able to do that was incredibly hard on them. Mm. You know, like you'd think, oh, yay, no exams, but it's, you know, they worked for those. They have studied, you know, so hard for those and done so much work towards those. Um, and then suddenly you can't do them. Um, it's almost like you've had, it's like this rite of passage, you know, there's this, yeah, this mm -hmm. big, it's, it's a big deal in your life, right? Doing those mm -hmm. exams. And my eldest son said to me, so, he said, you know what, our year is always going to be known as the year who, who didn't have to do well enough in exams to get into university. Um, and actually, it's not just his year now, is it? So mm -hmm. it's, it's that whole thing of, and, and then how they were going to do exams. I mean, there was so much anxiety around it and worry about 
you know, am I going to get a fair score? And yeah, so there was a lot of uncertainty. And I think you're right, it's those big transitions or like the teens who started university. Mm. You know, that was, I know so many kids started university and then decided to come home after like the first few weeks and just learn from home because they weren't getting the full experience. Um, mm. Yeah, so it was yes yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's massive and i think the um like you said i think you're you'll be much more sort of professional have a much more professional view on this given your your background but my um i can kind of like from the different people i talk to you get the kind of impression that everyone who works with young people or, or vulnerable adults there is this like bubbling cauldron of of after effects of the last 12 months that we all need to really start start paying attention to before things things go bang because it's you know it's it's, it's there isn't it i think and for, yeah. for adults like like you said you know marital status wealth whatever like it doesn't come into it does it like everyone's had everyone's had their challenges everyone's had their worlds to a degree flipped upside down and yeah I think yeah it's um I think we all need to kind of look after ourselves but also look after yeah. each other after um, each other yeah a, a, definitely a and just be kind you know I just say just be kind there's no mm. reason to be a douchebag yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah which is hard to do when sometimes you're in the middle of something that is causing you so much stress and anxiety or a particular person is you know when things are, are just so hard but it's so important to just take a step back and think you know what is that person going through who have they lost what mm. have they lost you know because it's it's just doing that reflection mm. is um yeah That's really important think, like i think the like the, the the kind of driver behind the book is 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 inspiring i think it think it's great i think the one thing that really kind of i wanted to just sort of ask you about i suppose is and i don't want to kind of be talking about the last 10 12 months too much but do you see anything like from from an occupational therapist point of view have things because you know what occupational therapy is i guess to to try and do some occupational therapy work through a zoom call is very difficult so different <laughs> dare I say. and so difficult mm. yeah um so i think so we obviously um because we were medical we stayed open obviously within um the constraints as much as we could we didn't do any sessions face to face um and so we then also everyone went on to zoom i'd never heard that word before you know <laughs> in terms of something you do on the computer and there were i i'd say there were two two sides there was the some kids really really thrived so i found the the young the tweens and the teens who had anxiety um, who are more self-conscious, they absolutely thrived having remote sessions because mm. they could be in their rooms, they could be at home and, you know, you could do a yoga session where you could do learning those skills such as tie laces and it was just you and them um, with the parents in the background and they really thrived. And 
And for the younger group, I think what I saw there was parents felt so empowered because we made, we said that, you know, if you if you still want Zoom sessions, because obviously a lot of our um, our kids are privately funded. And we said to parents, you know, if you want that to continue, you have to be in the session. Um, and parents found it so empowering. They loved the sessions. They loved how we, um, watching us in that sense with them being our hands, because they can watch us in a room, but obviously we're doing it all hands-on. But watching us say, okay, now use that, or, or saying to parents, okay, right, let's have a think. Um, you don't have a dining room table because then I, I think I also realized that I work with such a range of, of clients, you know, some who, who do have a lot of money and some who don't have a dining room table. And then seeing those parents kind of go, um, sorry, we, we don't have a table. This Ikea table is all we have in the flat. And I'd be like, absolutely fine. Right. Go and sit over there. Oh, this is perfect. Now you can do work in high kneeling up against the wall or, you know, let's make an obstacle course, use the sofa cushions, the mattresses, and let's run through the flat. And, and that was so empowering, I think, for parents to see that actually it's okay, you know, and, and that they were connecting with their kids in that way and, and seeing the joy that comes from just playing with their kids, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just having fun and taking the pressure off. Um, obviously also the flip side is that there were kids who just could not cope with remote sessions and they were the ones who, as soon as we could open, we would bring those ones back in first. Um, yeah, but for some kids, it was just really, really hard as well. Um, and for the therapists as well, it was a, you know, we had to learn to do things the way we've not done them before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, tribunals, all the tribunals went online, which was actually, I personally, I thought that was great because I save about four hours a day for traveling to the mm -hmm. tribunals, you know, like to go into London to go to court. Um, and I think a lot of parents found it much easier because it's not as daunting, you know, to go mm -hmm. to the high courts of justice and to sit in that little room, even though it's intimate quite often. Um, yeah, so I think there's, there's some positives mm -hmm. from that. You know, I could, my lunch break, quickly go and bleach the toilet and then come back, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think what was nice about that um, I'm digressing a little bit, was that you could see that the judge, the the um, the solicitors, the barristers, they were all just human, you know, like the judge would go, oh, sorry, my dog's about to go and um, <laughs> yeah. lose his, you know, his mind because the postman's here. And, you know, the other week we had someone had to go and a teacher had to go and give her son his insulin and the dog walked over the keyboard. So we all just sat there watching this dog <laughs> on camera. And it was just, it was, it was just so lovely to just have that. Yeah. That connection that, of you know, mm. we're all just human. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, your status in, in, in society, but yeah, but to come back to the whole zoom thing, it was, it was, it, it was quite hard. Mm. Um, there are some kids now who, have said they would like to continue on Zoom, particularly the older ones or like um, remote therapy. Um, and obviously we need to accommodate because there are parents who are vulnerable medically and who still don't want to send their kids back, even if they have an EHCP or they can have a key worker place. Mm. 
So it's just keeping that that flexibility. So it has it has given more flexibility. Um, yeah, interesting. You you mentioned the, the the tribunal side of things. There. I was talking to someone is he think someone in the local authority and actually that person had some fairly positive thoughts that actually it could really help to speed up and get through a, a lot more in a Absolutely. in the same in the same time so like you say it's i think it goes back to what i think i said at the very beginning about that post i saw about everyone's like in a way quite rightly rushing to get back to to normal but there are certain things that like we need I, I i'm not gonna I, there's certain parts things that i used to do or i, I don't want to rush back to if, if i'm honest like absolutely and I, I think that's that's really important yeah something um, no uh, absolutely and i think something with the um yeah with the tribunals i think one of the judges said that she and like had done a ridiculous amount of tribunals because they aren't getting cancelled because of lack of court space or lack of this mm. or lack of that and i think that's that's a real positive as well. Um, yeah. Mm. Lastly, something I just wanted to uh, touch on. I know we spoke about it before, and you mentioned it um, earlier on in our in our conversation. And I think since I've spoken to you, interestingly, I've spoken to oh, a couple of podcasts and two or three other people who have had late diagnosis um, of ADHD. Uh, or dyslexia I think there's uh, been, been some other diagnosis as well but interestingly always around a kind of mid-30s to, to, to 40 kind of age group do, do you like I know we spoke about it before but what kind yeah. of and I, I'm starting to get really fascinated in it I think I've, I've spoken to you before in some messages yeah, and yeah. like what what was the how did that come around and what was the the trigger point and again some people yeah. obviously will will listen and think as an occupational therapist it's really interesting that you got to yeah, that yeah. late stage and then but what, what sort of triggered that and and especially working with kids with ADHD you know it's kind of like how have I not seen this so <laughs> I guess really if you if we start with my my whole mental health so I had quite severe postnatal depression which um back when I had my kids it's not something that everyone spoke about and so I was medicated for that and that kind of was all fine um and then I had a period where we had we had two deaths in our, our inner circle one was my brother one was my neighbor's mom who I was very close to and I then noticed that actually I was um really coping but not coping and you know I was the party girl I was the gin girl I was drinking quite a lot um you know every night I'd have a little GNT and so and then I just realized that things were just going so bad like I just felt that depression and the anxiety was just so overwhelming and it was my neighbor who said go and see the doctor and the, the GP was amazing and she said well if you have a, a headache I'd give you a tablet for that so you know um went on to antidepressants, did some um, talking therapy, and that absolutely was, was amazing. Um, it then came to a point where I, I said, right, I'm going to stop drinking because I'm, I'm, I'm relying on it too much when I have all these emotions. So I stopped drinking. Um, and then it was almost like I was a different person. Um, and I noticed I was, I just couldn't focus. I was 
um, impulsive. I was saying things without thinking. Um, I would start one thing and I would hyper-focus, you know, they say it's attention deficit, but I would hyper-focus on things that really did not need to be focused on at all, you know. Um, and so I actually, I went and saw um, a private psychiatrist because I thought I might be on the spectrum. You know, I thought, well, my son's on the spectrum, so maybe I'm, you know, I am. Um, and he's a, a psychiatrist who works um, in the NHS and privately, and he specifically deals with adults with um, autism and ADHD, um, had the appointment, filled out all the forms, and my family just kept on saying, but that's just who you are. You know, you never look at us when you talk. You always are doing five different things at the same time. You always misplace things. Um, and they were like, saying all these things and they're like but that's just who you are and I'm like, okay um and and speaking to the psychiatrist um you know I just like rattled off probably the way I'm doing right now and he was listening and I can remember saying to him do you always talk this slowly and he just laughed at me and he said you know you don't have um ASD I wouldn't diagnose you with autism but you have moderate to severe ADHD and I was completely just blown away by that because in my mind people who have ADHD are constantly moving they do loads of exercise um, you know and I, I just didn't see myself as that and so he said I actually had the combined type so the ADD and the ADHD and I said yeah but I'm not I don't fidget and he went you've not stopped moving and I think I just didn't realize <laughs> that you know my legs were jiggling and I was just all over the place but I didn't realize that mm. um and I said to him oh my gosh this is just you know how have I not noticed and he said well if you think about the work that you do I was basically um I was having all that sensory input through being in the ball pool through running around with kids building obstacle mm. courses you know so I was getting all of that side of my brain and my needs met um and, and I could talk to kids, I could talk loads to kids, and I love talking to parents and helping them. Um, and yeah, and he said, you know what, something he did say also was that, you know, it's not all, it's not all bad, you wouldn't have had your business if it wasn't for that creativity that comes with ADHD, your impulsivity is really, it's just risk taking, it's jumping in, trying something, problem solving, the idea generation, you know, and so it's all of those things, which I just did and would go, oh my gosh, okay, so I've just agreed to do this talk, which is tomorrow, but <laughs> hey ho, let's just, you know, who needs yeah. sleep, that type of thing. Um, and so it was, it, it's been really, really interesting to see, to go through that experience. And, and after that, it's just, you know, the strategies then, so I, um, I have gone into medication, which has, it has notably changed my life. And I, I wasn't sure that it would. Um, but I can remember having a conversation with my husband. I think I've probably been on medication for about four or six weeks. And, and I said to him, you know, have you noticed a difference? And he looked at me and he said, you know, this is the first time, possibly in all the time I've known you, we've known each other for like 22, 23 years that you've sat here we've had a conversation, you've put your phone down, you've paused the TV, we have been talking about the same topic, 
for half an hour and you've you've listened to me you've stopped and asked my opinion and you've stayed on track and and I went oh okay <laughs> poor guy you know <laughs> um so it's things like that that you just you know and everyone says it's just who you are so I guess now knowing that how it's affected me is that I I do have days when I don't take the medication because obviously I don't want to you know habituate too much but I I have noticed that I personally I'm using a lot more kind of cognitive strategies like okay stop you're doing that thing now um, and I'm doing a lot more kind of mindfulness a lot more breathing um, and just recognizing that as well so it's not just you don't have to do the medication side it's it's what works for you mm. um, but yeah it's been it's been great I know it sounds really odd to say particularly in working with girls because it's so hard to diagnose ADHD or autism in in teenagers um, and I've had so many who I've worked with and I I'm quite open about my um, my diagnosis and you know I'd say to them yeah oh yes I have ADHD and they'd be like oh okay and and the parents would go so you're okay then and I went yeah I'm I'm absolutely fine. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty awesome. You know, I'm, I'm successful. Mm. I, I have a business. I enjoy stuff. I have, you know, a fantastic team. I've achieved all of this. Um, and I think that's just a little bit of hope, mm. you know, that. And interestingly, you achieved that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just trying to kind of piece together things. You, you achieved that before you had your diagnosis a, a lot of that you know you, you you'd achieved a lot of that I think what it does is like and like you say you you were getting the kind of stuff that was helping you without you fully knowing it but that that gives you a um I'm, I'm a massive like believer in if you've experienced a certain thing or you have a a need if you've been through something in life your like knowledge to then help others who are in that is just catapulted isn't it because yeah you've you, you've got that experience something you you touched on in and i don't think we kind of really went into it on the on the last call but it's interesting that you meant you mentioned about um stopping stopping drinking now i think i've, I've i can't if I, I mentioned to you but in october october 2019 I made that decision that I needed to, I needed to cut alcohol out out of my life because you know people people across the UK in particular have a a notion that someone who's alcohol dependent is someone who sits on a bench with a, a bottle in a brown bag and that is that yeah. is an alcoholic like I I was at a point where I was relying on alcohol to de-stress to take yeah. my mind off things that were that bothering me and I, I remember sitting talking to people close to me and you know. If, if, my, my wife in particular was very supportive because she knows me better than better than anyone and then a couple of people around me were like but that's just what what people like do Dave I was like yeah but it's not it's not what why is it just what people it's do not healthy. Why, why is it so acceptable to come home and the first thing that you do from work is to go get a, a bottle of beer out of the fridge rather than going yeah. and seeing your two children that are probably bursting to say hello to their mom or dad but in yeah. society it's acceptable that like yeah. alcohol alcohol is a really a really really strange one and, and I, yeah. I I probably was the type of person who and I'm going off on a different bit here but I was probably one of the worst people thinking how could you go to a party and not drink it'd be like yeah it'd be yeah. boring how could you go and sit in a yeah. pub and not drink 
Like, but I, I, mm. I genuinely, I miss going to a pub and socialising at the minute, like everyone. Yeah. But I do not miss that, the the real drink side of it. And yeah. anyone who knows me will, like, similar to what you were saying, life and soul of the party, last one yeah. leaving, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's 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 a real the, yeah. the the topic on alcohol. I think is a a real interesting one. And I it had is because couple... it's oh sorry, I'm no, no, you finished. Yeah, yeah, no, you, um, you go. The, the um, psychiatrist said to me, "Do you um, did you do you use recreational drugs?" And I went, "No," you know. And he went, "Oh, so you don't drink or any of those things?" And I kind of went, "Oh, yeah." And 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 that is a, a massive socially um, almost it's forced upon us. Mm-hmm. It's a recreational drug, right? And it's the one thing where people would say why have you stopped drinking are you ill are you pregnant are you on medication mm. you know you won't say to someone oh my gosh why have you stopped doing heroin or mm. why aren't you taking cocaine anymore are you okay you know and it's it's a drug and actually it affects such a wide range of people not just the person drinking but their whole family you know mm. um yeah it's it's really interesting and i i'm like you you know people said what do you mean you've stopped drinking? You know, because I had like an Instagram page for gin and, but it was all just, you know, if I think about it now, it was just the the anxiety actually, you know, that social anxiety of wanting to, you know, look cool while I'm, you know, having drinks or, or as you say, you know, going to a pub drinking before you go because you're anxious. It's that social anxiety. And I, I always, you know, I'm, I'm fairly outgoing, but it's that worry for me it was, um, okay, so let's have a couple of drinks before we get there. So it's, you know, you can like, be sociable and enjoy it. And yeah. I've, um... I've spoken to, I've spoken to a couple of people actually. And um, I think it, when I explained my reasons, I think it kind of hit a bit of a, a, a soft point of, yeah. Of, of, of themselves um and again I, the last thing i ever want to do is become that you shouldn't drink because of this 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 like certain people can can go and have a drink and, and be absolutely fine and it, yeah. it doesn't but the, the interesting thing is like and since i've learned and you know i was having i was relying on having a, a glass of wine a bottle of beer whatever it might be to take my mind away from things that were stressing me out and actually the things that I was stressing out about weren't worth stressing out and all alcohol does is you know it it, it kind of takes it away but then when you come back down it's just worse isn't it like a and that's, yeah that, that's, absolutely that's, that's that like, anxiety the next day you know and how it interferes with your sleep and yeah um very much for coming on and it's been been great I know, talking you're to very you. welcome um, yeah I'd love to I think there's a growing 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 list of people i'd love to go and meet and have a, have a coffee with when all this is over um and yeah, yeah. be great to great to meet up definitely and wish you all the best yeah. and yeah anything you want to finish up on before we before we finish no i just i guess i just want to say to any anyone listening any parents particularly listening just remember be kind to yourself remember that you are amazing and you are doing a phenomenal job and yeah, just play with your kids and just have fun. Absolutely. Great stuff. Cheers, Anissa. Thank you. Excellent. Okay.